Welcome back to Movie Classics with Larry and David. We're glad to have you here. And uh, David, uh, we all know who that was. Yes. Who was that? Alfred something. Alfred who? Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. This is somebody who a number of our listeners might remember and some may never have heard of. So we have to make sure that they get to know who the heck this guy was. Boy, no kidding. No kidding. And uh, we're, uh, uh, we're going to talk about Alfred Hitchcock a little bit. And we are also uh, expecting a phone call from a gentleman here pretty soon about the Anchorage Film Festival. So, uh, uh, James, if you're listening, would like to call in 907-283-8414. I sent you an email here a minute ago. So, uh, so give us a call, and uh, we'll we'll get you on uh, Movie Classics here. We'd love to have you on and uh, talk movies a little bit. So, uh, so well, David, do you remember at all what uh, you remember what your first Alfred Hitchcock movie was? Well, I was just thinking about that and uh, realized that my parents kept me from such things pretty effectively, and that I. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I would have to be in a sleepover somewhere where parents didn't actually understand that we were watching those scary things and uh, occasionally would get a, a snippet. But we didn't have uh, really high quality horror films. We had B films mostly. Yeah, we yeah. We, we, we were watching guys who, uh, who didn't have the talent that Hitchcock had. Uh, so I learned of him and started watching his... Uh, more than 50 films that he made uh, as an adult. And then when I really got interested in uh, you know, films of note, films that had uh, a really well done uh, you know, script, uh, I found Rebecca and Saboteur and Lady Vanishes, which are all coming, these are pre-war, pre-World War II films of significance, things that I will still watch over and over again because of how well they were made. And if I remember, it wasn't Rebecca his first movie in Hollywood. In 1940, uh, he had created a, a reputation in England uh, and was successful. And so uh, uh, the Hollywood studios came, uh, literally interviewed him, hoping that he would come over, and he did, uh, and started a career here in the United States. Um, with some pretty significant dollars involved. He was making good money in England. Um, something, uh, I think something like 10,000 a year, 10,000 pounds a year. Yeah, which was big money back big, then big, in the 20s yeah. and 30s. Yeah, Significant money, yep. So, uh, and there starts, you know, things like Rebecca, which is a remarkably good film, uh, Foreign Correspondent, uh, Notorious, Notorious is, re is remarkable because of the, in my mind, because of the social um, sort of the mirror that was being placed in front of us, uh, watching uh, the drama between a three, uh, you know, a three-way love affair. Yeah. Which is remarkable. 1946. Yeah. And you know what's neat about him is the, the movies he did in Great Britain first. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was born in 1899. And he did his first movie at age 22 a in youngster. 1922. A youngster. Yeah, and I mean, yes. he was like... What did he know? Yeah, what did, what, what did he know? No kidding, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, but then in 25, he started making movies. And, and you know, those, those old movies that he did in the 20s and 30s 
were actually very many of them were excellent movies and we've talked about this before but my favorite one of those back then from the 30s is the 39 steps oh yeah yeah again i i probably watched it a half a dozen times yeah. and i'll watch it again you know even though i can now you know sort of repeat the uh the the, the, the dialogue the almost dialogue. <laughs> you know exactly. what's uh, what's folks what's neat about that movie the 39 steps is the his uh actor and actress uh richard donnett and i can't uh, what was the actress's name you oh, can't can't think of it no, right now no, no. uh but anyway it'll uh, madeline carroll uh what anyway what what he did was there's a steam where they're going through the Scottish Highlands mm-hmm. handcuffed together. Mm-hmm. There's a scene. Well, what Hitchcock did back then was he actually, he claimed that he lost the key to the handcuffs and he left these two actors handcuffed together for hours and hours. Literally. Literally. Handcuffed together. Just claiming that he lost the key to get them into the mood Uh of being stuck together. And uh, apparently they uh, that they weren't too happy about it because and that what he thought was going to be a way to make the scenes better of them actually being just irritated as hell with each other. He was, they were literally irritated. They, they were literally they irritated. They weren't acting. <laughs> they weren't acting. They were upset, you bet. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The Lady Vanishes uh, is set, uh, interestingly, in Eastern Europe. Who would have thought that, uh, you know, in 1938, there was, mis- you know, mystery going on amongst the politics that we're now living through today with uh, in, in 2022. Sure. That movie starred Margaret Lockwood and Michael Redgrave, uh, which is the, the Redgrave sisters' yes, father. Exactly. And, and wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, portrayals of, you know, English nobility. Uh, and the frailty within it, if and, you look hard. And David, I know you know this, and I always forget this. What what uh, uh, novel was Rebecca based on? Was, oh, Rebecca by... Uh, uh, de Marnier. De Mar- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, he, this is a, a situation uh, we see in a lot of, of good movies where excellent um, literature is created you know, in a screenplay. And carried with talent, uh, the talent that that he was able to gather together uh, as a director, and and uh, remarkable stuff. Again, it's it's one of those things that if you look at it now as an old movie, you can say how interesting and innocent it might appear, but it was never a matter of innocence. He was a you know he he was a a young man doing films. Uh, that were revealing interesting insights into his age. And, uh, you know, we have comparables today, but when you look at classic movies, you should think of them as artifacts of their period, uh, revealing what everybody sort of knew at the time. And and one of the things, uh, a lot of folks know this, a lot of folks don't, and is that due to the necessity of saving money, he typically made a cameo appearance in all his movies Just from the very beginning. So he didn't have to pay an extra. That's right. So he didn't have to pay an extra. And, and if you folks want to check this out, if you go, uh, you know, you can find anything on the Internet. But if you go to YouTube and you just type in 
Alfred Hitchcock cameos, every single cameo he did will come up. And I think he did like he did like 50 movies, but I think I'm pretty sure the cameos he did, there's like 48. Yeah, a lot. There's Both a lot of cameos. Of and some of them there are really cool. Some of them are they're they're blatant you can see them and other are kind of it's just the back of a guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Exactly. you know like uh, one of the ones i always like was in his movie the birds mm. he's coming out of the pet shop in the birds walking <laughs> two little couple little dogs you know how funny yeah it's I really mean, funny there's, there's always he he has a great uh, sense of humor and one of um, the things i was reading about that uh, quite a while back was People, for his movies, he got to be so popular with people was that he had to start being careful how he did his cameos because people were going to see his movies and they were more concerned about coming across and looking for his cameo than they were about the story. So he started kind of changing the way he did his cameos so they weren't so blatant Mm -hmm. uh, and they were a little little bit more subtle in in his movies. Slightly. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting in as long a career as he had uh, you know, the, the we were talking earlier about the fact that if you take one particular aspect of movie making, which he did with his suspense and mystery, um, you can you, obvi- he's an example of being able to do it very, very, very well for many years until you start losing your connection with the with the current population, the current age that you're operating in. And you really can see his his wonderful North by Northwest being indicative of the period that it was uh, filmed in. And then all of a sudden, you know, as he runs to the back, you know, to the end of his career, just not quite as in touch and in tune with with the films that were being made by others within the marketplace. Um, You know, Topaz, Torn Curtain, Frenzy, you might have a, a different opinion of them if you saw them in the context that they were trying to compete. Sure. And that's, uh, whereas, you know, Charles Lawton in Jamaica Inn in 1939, you can go back and watch that, and without the, uh, without the uh, 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 you know, impact of, of having it within its ear or watching it within its ear. All right, uh, hang on a minute, David. Uh, yeah. uh, is this James? It is. Oh, hi, James. How you doing? We're going to take a little break here, folks, from talk about Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, James sent me a text here a little bit, or an email a little bit ago, and he wanted to talk about uh, the Anchorage Film Festival that's coming up. And uh, what, what do you got on that, James? Well, I got a couple films that I'd like to recommend. Uh, there are two. One is uh, called You Resemble Me, and uh, it's about a woman who becomes... Uh, Kind of wrapped up in, uh, in uh, she's originally from the Middle East, moves to France, becomes involved with a man who is a terrorist and uh, kind of gets involved with him and eventually is kind of swept up in it. I don't want to give too much away. Maybe I have already, but uh, <laughs> excellent film. It reminds me of the, uh, the two films that Clint Eastwood made about Iwo Jima. And it kind of has that other perspective that people aren't really aware of. Uh, actually, her perspective, and uh, it's just a it's just a great film. 
and the other one is oh well hang uh, hang on a minute james i want to ask you a question about you resemble me is that a more current movie is it 10 years old 520 no uh, no no these are all these are all current movies made um within about the last year or so wow Um, cool yes uh actually they had the uh the writer or the director on uh company uh earlier this week or maybe last week talking about the film and it's just you know i i'm sure that a lot of people would probably hear this and be turned off by it but you have to see the film it's just it's just really a great film um, are there, or, excuse me, are there any actors in it or director that we would know? Um, no, it's all, it's all made in France. It's, it's a, uh, subtitled film. It's, it's a part of our, you know, Anchorage is a, has an international film festival. Sure. And we do have, we do have, uh, films from America and, and you know, Canada and Great Britain as well. Uh, but, uh, we like to, you know, these are some of the films that if you miss them at our festival, you'll probably never get to see them again. Uh, you may get to see Resemble Me on another platform, but the other film that I'd like to talk about, The Last Birds of Passage, is from Turkey, and I doubt that anyone will ever get to see that again, and it is such a beautiful film. It's about a uh, Turkish uh, family of goat herders that migrate from the uh, from the lowlands up into the hills uh, during a certain time of the year to uh, take care of their sheep and the the problems that they're running into when people won't allow them uh, passage to the mountains and the government is trying to work against them and it's just really a great film and both of these films have really good strong female characters it's just they're just, you know, there's a lot of great films, but I just wanted to talk about these two because they're really special to me, and they're really, I would really like to encourage people to to check out the Anchorage International Film Festival yeah, was, and James, see these films. I, I was going to ask you, uh, tell us a little more about the beginnings of the film festival, how long it's been going on. I understand it's, what is it, December Second or when, yes. when does it start? December second, and it runs it for two weekends, or what is it? Tell me more. Well, it runs until the the uh, the following weekend, and then usually uh, they they show all of the movies uh, that have won on Sunday. But uh, Sunday the eleventh. Yes. Okay. But my point being is, we're sitting down here uh, on the Kenai Peninsula. But that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that, uh, in in a sense, uh, some of our listeners would like to, you know, drive up for the festival. I think yeah. the uh, that and and that could be something that we really uh, support and get behind. Um, yeah. But you're saying that if if there was a weekend, it would be the second. I mean, spending a week up there is something outside the realm of possibilities for most everyone. But I know. going I, to a focused, you know, point in time that you would recommend. Tell us, you know, if you're sitting down here in Homer, or uh, Sadatna, or Kenai, how should we consume this festival? <laughs> Great question. Uh, I too live in Sadatna, ah. so I will be going up uh, in the the second 
in, in about two weeks mm-hmm. to spend the weekend up there to catch the opening ceremony. Okay. And then as many films as I can consume in the time that I have before I have to get back to work. And then I'm taking vacation time for the next weekend so I can go up and attend whatever I haven't seen yet, go to the after party, and cool. if they still are showing the the uh, the winners uh, on Sunday, I will I would like to go see some of the ones that that I don't see. I I just do narrative features, so I'm not really able to watch the documentary features, the shorts, and uh, some of the other programs that they have. And there's actually another uh, film that uh, someone from uh, Kenai made that's in the festival. It's a short, mm-hmm. and uh, it talks about. Uh, Oh, Rockwell Kent. And uh, it's called a dreamer's... Gosh, I, I well, should have done better. Well, listen, tell, tell us about the website. I'm sure there must be one uh, that our, our listeners could actually you know, yes. go to and get all the background we need. Go to the Anchorage International Film Festival website, international.org. Uh, and it will have the program. It will have uh, probably a synopsis of all the films that are showing. It'll give you times and dates for those films. And just, I recommend that you go see a film that's, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, there, there's, there's something there for everyone. James, let me ask you this. Is, uh, what, uh, is they're going to be at the Beartooth? What theaters are they going to be showing in, in Anchorage? The Anchorage Museum okay. and the Bear's Tooth. And there is, boy, I think, I'm not sure if we're doing the E Street Theater this year or not. But yeah, there are three venues, and I'm not sure exactly what the third one is. Well, I'm sure the, I'm sure the website will tell, what, obviously, yeah. the locations of. But, James, the yeah. uh, people who are uh, you know, fans but also just interested in international film, um, this is important information, and it's one of those things where, boy, I'd love to go up there, but I'd love to go up there knowing that others from Sadatna are going. And it's like yeah. uh, we need a we need a, like a little group that says, hey, this you know we're we're staying here and we're having dinner there and and so on. <laughs> so let's stay in touch, but also, yes, sir. Uh, hey, what do you what do you know about uh, Hitchcock? Oh, I. I... I love Hitchcock. I love it. <laughs> really? It's great. Yeah, I mean, I love classics. I've always been a fan of movies. Yeah. That's why I got involved in the, the Anchorage Film Festival and the Woods Hole Film Festival. And, uh, you know, I just love film. I can't, I can't make them. I'm not, right. I'm not somebody that makes films, but I love watching them. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, we're 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 uh, sort of idiots of you know idiots that like them, but it's uh, it, that, that's okay. <laughs> well, James, James, yeah, you know, I love I love screening films. It's a great job about twenty one and a half percent of the time. Yeah, we know James, David, and I had talked before about. Uh, you know, we weren't sure how to do it, but, you know, and if time permits, we were we were almost thinking uh, about a way to have almost like a. A smaller film festival down here on the Central Peninsula. You know, not sure how we'd make that work. And David, you you've talked to him out at uh, KPC a little oh, bit yeah. Yeah. about that. And uh, well, the library, you know, Sedona Library has a wonderful meeting room. Uh, yeah. And if you're not if you're not trying to get you know a hundred people together, and you, you would like to have twelve or twenty or thirty, 
that's all uh, that's all available to us, and all we have to do is know about it enough yeah. to organize it, and it doesn't have to be hard. Uh, yeah. You you know YouTube has now available to us, um, you know made available for nonprofit you know use mm -hmm. all yeah. of the uh, all of these films, so. Yeah, you know, let's let's, let's like, like I said, we we've got your email now. Yeah, oh, right. And phone number. That's great. You so. know, I was just having this conversation with Eric Downs, who uh, made this other film, and he lives in Kenai, mm -hmm. and we were just talking about the same thing. Uh, well, we've yeah, got that, we've got five people already signed up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, well, let's let, we'll we'll work on that. We'll work on that because, like I said, I can watch Lady Vanishes over and over again. But also, <laughs> if you've got people who care about the art form, then there's yeah. always something to talk about. You know, it's like, how did he do that? One of the things yeah. about, uh, about uh, his, uh, Hitchcock's career is that he started out when film was brand new and silent. And ended up with you know color features that were remarkable with high as high tech as he could make, but uh, early early uh, a lot of his early films you know it's like oh I've got a mirror let's do something with a mirror. Also he knew that hands were very dramatic that as human beings we understood hands as a as a feature that could reveal. <coughs> Excuse me, and so. But they were often filmed too small. In other words, in filling the frame, a hand would be too small. So he used mannequins that were like huh. one and a half times the size of a hand so that it filled his frame properly. And, yeah. and stuff like that, you know, that's not, uh, you know, that's not uh, computer, <laughs> that's not computer assisted. That's sort of like, I know what I want to do. How the heck am I going to do it? Uh, <laughs> Fan, fantastic work for an old guy, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, James, do you have a, do you have a favorite uh, Hitchcock film? Oh, That's a tough favorite. question. Hard to say. It favorite. is a tough question. Yeah. You know, um, you know, they all have their their certain, um, <clears throat> you know, there's just certain things about all of them that are great. For the most part, I guess North by Northwest would probably. Come to mind, or Carrie? Uh, well, just name. You can say I love the Jimmy Stewart movies of Hitchcock. Or oh wait, there you go. Matt, sure. I, yeah. I like the Cary Grant movies, and you can realize what he, what an impact he had on some of these remarkable stars. You yeah. know where you know you can name a half a dozen films that Cary Grant was in. For heaven's sakes. Remarkable. I like yeah. all the films that Alfred Hitchcock was in. Yeah, well, that's 49 <laughs> of them. That's right, that's all yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, well, let's appreciate your, uh, your t uh, taking part in today's chat. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, you bet, you bet. We're, we're... And let's not let this idea uh, at the Sadatna Library uh, drop. We'll, we'll do something about that. All righty. All right, well, have a good day. All right, well, thanks again, James, and uh, we appreciate the call and appreciate the info, and hopefully hopefully, some folks will get up uh, to the film festival. Yes, sir. We'll see you at the movies. All right. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Bye. That was cool. And also, you know, our, our Alaskan community doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that is 
that's really cool. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, when we lived up there, uh, we always would forget about the darn film festival. And uh, oh, the, the darn film festival? The darn film festival. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I would miss it or we'd have to work or we'd be out of town. You know, there were times we were out of town, the getting out of here for the winter for, during the film festival and uh, would miss it. But uh, we hit a, we hit a few of the movies there. And that's why I asked him if it was going to be at the Beartooth. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if you've ever been no, to the Beartooth, no, David. But, yeah, real, real quick. Uh, that was uh, one of the older theaters in there. And the guys who own Moose's Tooth Pizza, they bought this theater and they sell their Moose's Tooth Pizza down there and they sell their beer, their beers that they brew. Well, what they did was they took every other row of seats out and there's long low tables uh -huh. so you can go in there and you can order food and they'll play some maybe some current movies and they'll play some classic movies mm -hmm. and you can go in there and do an order and get a beer and something to eat or a pizza and you put a number on the table and they'll deliver your food while you're watching the movie cool it's really a it's really a neat place yeah so and uh, i'm sure they played some uh, hitchcock movies there well, you always, yes, you can always find them. It's not hard to find movies anymore. We, the, what's remarkable, we were talking earlier about the fact that we can remember things that we did years ago and go on, go on the uh, uh, Google Maps and dug on it, go right up to the door and almost knock on it of the, the apartment you remember. And so our avail, you know, the data that we have available to us is endless. It's more a matter of how are we going to consume it and how are we going to share it. And so, you know, Larry and I figured out how to share what we like about movies here. Yeah. And uh, that's why we have a phone number to call. And you know, one of the one of another one of my favorite Hitchcock movies is The Birds. Oh yeah. You know, nineteen sixty three, Tippy Hedren, uh, Rod Taylor. And uh, we, I love that movie. Uh, my wife said it scared her pretty good when she was little. It didn't really scare me because uh, I, I remember my, my mom and dad taking me to the movies to see it. You know, and I'd have been nine years old when it came out. That's the difference between you and me. My parents didn't even let me get to that. Movie. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, what as we were talking about, like where you can uh, get on the computer now and go right up to the door. Well, Marty and I were in Bodega Bay area a number of years back and we went to bodega bay and we saw a few of the places where they filmed the birds is that is that telephone booth still there i, I don't think the booth is still there <laughs> well but what's really weird is the town of bodega bay that was all that literally was all background painting mm. you know it's doesn't look the the one place that there was the schoolhouse mm -hmm. that's a private residence now and there were a couple of other scenes of uh, 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 places there and that's one of the things i've always liked to do in movies is for places where they're filming where they're filming on location mm -hmm. i start searching for those places on on like google maps or something well, that, and, and during a vacation you don't drive past you know I, right I've, I've been on the rocky shore of uh, of the uh england where jamaica inn with uh, charles lawton was filmed yeah and uh this is a film of telling the story of wreckers, uh, guys who would go out and, and shift a lighthouse light, you know, turn the real light off and put a false one on and literally br uh, wreck ships on the shore. Uh, and um, it's just, you know, fascinating uh, 
the, it may have been made in in uh, in a studio, but you can actually go look at some of this stuff and see the cave that was portrayed in in the movie and so on. Well, I, in, I in, love doing that. Yeah, in the birds, like I said, going down that site, and I, I'll tell this quick little story. Mm. Uh, some years back, I was. Uh, uh, working down on Market Street in San Francisco. I was just there for a couple of weeks. And we were having some meetings and everything. And, and then we were going to have the weekend off, you know, and then you come back next week to, to do the the training you're going to and stuff. And this one guy in the group, he just goes, yeah, I think I'm going to drive up to Bodega Bay for a, for a couple of days. And I just went, did they get that bird problem settled up there? <laughs> and a couple people that connection. were right there yeah. started laughing and yeah. this guy i mean it was didn't know what you were talking over about. his head and yep. he was about my age well he you know and i'm like i'm like uh-oh so uh then i had to explain it to him he's like oh yeah but oh yeah everybody got it everybody got a kick yeah. out of that one yeah. that was pretty good yeah. so but that was that was the one that really scared marty marty saw it when she was little and marty would have only been seven when she saw it you know, and she might have seen it a little bit later in life. I really yeah. don't think she saw it at age seven. Sometimes you see it early on, and then you finally get to a point where you can watch the whole thing and understand it, not yeah. just hide underneath the covers. Yeah, and you know, you know, Hitchcock too, uh, uh, the movie Rope uh, with uh, Hume Cronin, uh, James Stewart, or rather uh, adapted by Hume Cronin, James Stewart, John Dollar, Farley Granger. Which Farley Granger's been in a couple other hits. Farley was in uh, Strangers on a Train mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. Robert Walker Sr. And uh, that, but that was uh, Hitchcock's first color film. Oh, in really? The US. I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, Technicolor, Technicolor 19, film. Nineteen forty-eight. Nineteen forty-eight. Interesting. And you know, when you look at that, one of the one of the things, kind of a little sidebar to talking about Hitchcock, is I've I've read over the years about. Movies being color or black and white. Mm -hmm. And uh, color movies have actually been around a lot longer than people think. Oh, we've had color. The technology yeah. was there. Technology's been there a long time, but the expense to make the right. movie right. was just outrageous, which is why a lot of movies that could have been made in color were made in black and white. But I got to tell you when, you, when you look at that, when you look at some of these, you know, I mean, like like the movie Lifeboat from 1944 with Walter Slezak, William Bendix, that would have been a different movie had it been in color. Sure. You know, because the black and white, the the shadows, the angst on the people's face, it, it makes it a different movie, which is one of the things where I am strictly against colorizing movies that were originally made in black and white. A lot of times the person who was making the movie, Hitchcock, understood the limitations of the media and operated within them. And so when you, you know, you, you sort of miss the artistry that he was operating within, you know, in black and white, if you start putting color on it. And I, I, I'm with you on that. The, um, it, it's not the same when you colorize a documentary from the turn of the century. When, right. You know, now, now they can colorize some of the first films that were made of Paris during the, you know, in the 1800s. And that is where, you know, you, you can get me excited when all of a sudden the, uh, the parasol is pink instead of white. Right. Right. Yeah. But you look at that, and I mean, it's the same way, uh, even though he made Rope in 48 and it was color, it just in 1951, Strangers on a Train, like I said, with Farley Granger and Robert right. Walker, that was black and white. Right. It, uh, it would have totally been a different movie in yeah. color. You know, that 
black and white, the, the way the shadows played on the people's faces, it just makes a different movie. And to go a little sidebar on that, it's like the black and white movie with uh, John Wayne and James Stewart, uh, uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Mm-hmm. Totally different movie in mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. Absolutely total. A different mindset, a different emotions, everything. It, it was just a different a different movie. So uh, Sort of different medias. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, you don't want to miss the subtlety that the director was trying to achieve. Which is what, with some, some more current movies, mm-hmm. the directors purposely made mm-hmm. in black and white because they knew of the shadow. They know that Raging Bull, Schindler's List. Right. Uh, the, the most famous, I think, is uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, where the, you know, the first few development of the story was in black and white right. in Kansas right. within a tornado. And then she lands. And then when she comes back, it's black and white again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very, uh, yeah. Good, good understanding of the, of the significance of, of that. You bet. You bet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Hitch, Hitchcock. Uh, and, and when we talk about, well, let's talk a little bit, David, about his, what's the word? I'm like, his stable of actors. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. Cary Grant. Um, uh, Grace Kelly. James Stewart. James Stewart. Um, Charles Lawton early right. on, you know, when and uh, he was playing <clears throat> uh, significant roles. He was a famous actor, and you know, sort of you had to you had to pull him in for the for the uh, 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 name recognition for Jamaica Inn. Sure, and and out of all his actors that he liked to use a lot, the one to me that could emote the most anxiety or fear in his face to me anyway was james stewart oh yeah well the, and there you go with you know where you have actors or characters that are um revealed in all of their frailty and then have some type of re, uh resolution at the end uh with with uh, vertigo you know yes it, it's it's a wonderful relief at the end of that film if you have uh, you need to watch it just for that um, and 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 Stewart, but also Jim. I mean, Vertigo is a wonderful tour of San Francisco. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, like, all those. All those. That's right. All those things are like I said. I I, I go to uh, I go to uh, uh, the maps and uh-huh. I look up where uh-huh. they. I'm like very cool. Very and and I'll tell you this is a little different. I'll tell you a, a quick story too, David. Uh, some years back, uh, Marty and I, my wife, we were in Chico, California, mm-hmm. and we're going through this one park in chico it's called bidwell park Mm -hmm. and we're walking through this place we go man this place looks familiar i've been here before before. i've been here before (laughs) well finally we came across a plaque that was the site where they filmed the old Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Robin Hood. Oh, my goodness. That's where that was filmed. We're like, God, no wonder it looks so familiar. You know, there are some, uh, there are some other old classic films uh, uh, that were clearly set in Los Angeles at the moment that they were being made. And what are all those orange groves and oil wells doing in Los Angeles? Yeah. You know, you just really don't even imagine that L.A. was anything but it is as today. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Jimmy Stewart, speaking of Jimmy and, uh, and, and Hitchcock, but Jimmy Stewart was a pilot. Yes. And, of course, had a significant World War II uh, experience as a pilot of a, of a um, 
What does he fly? I think he uh, flew B-17s. B- B-17s. But the, but the, um, uh, he was a pilot while he was creating his career and remembers flying out of an old field that was, I'm trying to remember what he called, it was, they were growing onions, or if somebody remembers it better, but it was an onion field, and he remembers taking his plane up and out of that air, airfield, which now is LAX. And so, you know, the, the, the little doodads like that, little snippets are fascinating to me. Uh, but Jimmy's career, you know, was those guys watched L.A. become the Los Angeles we know today. Sure, and, you know, he, uh, he actually served uh, in the Air Force Reserve, retired a general after 27 years of service. Yes, yes. And it's a really amazing. And I was just looking here because I couldn't think if we were right. Uh, he's, he's flown several types of planes, but he flew the B-24 Liberator, uh, then, as later years, uh, B forty seven and B fifty two, and one of my one of my favorite movies is of him being a B fifty two pilot. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah that. Uh, well, he, uh, he's he's been in a number of films. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, if you just picked up, you know, and and searched for uh, airplanes, uh, he has had a number of really good good. Uh, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know well, the same way with him. Uh, Flight of the Phoenix was yeah, a great I was movie say, with him. I was going to say that's the scariest one. Yeah, if you think about scary. We're not, we're off Hitchcock now, but but yeah, uh, you know that 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 is a worth a film worth looking up. But yeah, uh, uh, Spirit of St. Louis. He flew a plane. You <laughs> know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was absolutely great. But yeah, he was one of Hitchcock's. Favorites. You know, favorites. And, uh, uh, Hitchcock was one of those guys, too, was famous enough to be interviewed during his career a number of times. So you don't have to, as in a lot of other artists, you know, you only know them through uh, uh, other critics who might have spoken about, you know, are, 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 uh, uh, were critics of their films. He actually has been interviewed, you know, on television and on film a number of times. He was asked... Whether or not he really liked, uh, or uh, is there any uh, actor that he couldn't get along with? And he says, well, "Who couldn't? Who couldn't love Jimmy Stewart?" You know, he he actually knew these guys, and he appreciated the the humanity of the work that they were doing together. Um, <clears throat> so when we talk about Stewart and Hitchcock, it, it's of a, of a, an appreciation of each professional. Right. David, I want to, uh, we've been, uh, we've got about a little over 20 minutes left, but we were talking before, and hopefully most people that are listening today, especially some of our older listeners that might be uh, more in our age group, remember his TV show. Now, we're not talking movies with him, but we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock in general, and I want to play the theme to his TV show real quick to see how many folks remember this. Here we go. So that's uh, that was his theme show, and for you folks that, that don't remember it, you know, it was in black and white back then, and they showed they had a board and they showed a silhouette, just a line drawing silhouette of 
a guy and a big old belly, and then his shadow walks into that. Yeah. Yeah, Alfred's shadow. And I, I loved that when I was a kid. Absolutely. Because, because Hitchcock had such a long career, a um, number of people thought they knew him because he, he was, had a presence on the small screen at the yes. time. He was in our living rooms. Not yes. just when we could get the money together to go to the movies or have a have, have a date night. That's true. Um, and so, the, the, as a director, had a much more significant presence in his era in that in those decades that he was active in. Sure, he uh, he did TV. Uh, it's called uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He did that from fifty five to sixty two, mm-hmm. and then he did a couple other things in between. Uh, but then his regular, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Uh, was uh, from 62 to 65. Uh, and uh, he, he was uh, uh, more of a host of that one. He only directed one episode of that. But from 55 to 62, same way he was host, he directed 17 episodes on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And you can find a lot of these still, like we said, online yep. Yep. and uh, free everywhere. And uh, I don't know about you folks, but from my standpoint, a lot of what was made back then by Alfred Hitchcock is way better than anything that's on TV today. I, you know, a lot of folks won't agree with me on that, but I'm telling you that's and that's kind of way my wife feels a little too. If you if you don't agree, then call in and tell us why. Yeah, and tell us tell us we're a bunch of couple of knuckleheads. You yeah. know, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. We know that already anyway. <laughs> yeah, we we've got um, we broke that code a long time ago. <laughs> I thought you'd like to know a little some snippets that I found uh, okay. while I was looking. Uh, the East End of London. Is important just to know that there's nothing rich about the East End. It was all port, the port of London, and factories. Okay, so but he, that's where he grew up. He was the son of a greengrocer. A greengrocer is somebody who runs a small shop on the you know on the street uh, that sells nothing but fresh vegetables. Uh, so you've got to be able to make your living selling fresh vegetables in the east end of London, uh, which is where he helped his uh, his father for a number of years. But then find uh, got a job. I thought it was interesting. His one of his first again. He was making films when he was in his early twenties. But before then, he was worked for the Hindley Telefo- Telegraph and Cable Company as an estimator. Well, we can appreciate that. We've all had jobs like that. And I think it's, in, uh, you know, here he is having the opportunity of simply continuing his entire career as a, a, a technician for a telephone company, but instead started a career, you know, in silent films. And if I remember correct reading about him, as he was growing up, wasn't he, which he shouldn't have been, but as a kid, wasn't he a little embarrassed by what the business his father did? Well, I'm sure, of course, in a, in a class-conscious society sure. that he lived in, sure. you, you always knew. I mean, for years and years, until actually quite recently, you couldn't be presented in the royal court if you were in retail. If you, you know, Sainsbury's, uh, you might not be familiar with that as a, as a grocery store, but Sainsbury's... Uh, you know, had more money than the queen, but couldn't couldn't be presented to her. Huh. And, uh, David, do you have the little snippet of his uh, fear of police? No, I didn't know well, that. Well, yeah, what happened was when he was a, a young boy at like age seven, I think, 
his father had him arrested and he was put in a cell by the police and his father did this to scare him straight to make sure he wasn't going to get in trouble because he was apparently a little bit of a rambunctious little kid he did this and he has said before that for the rest of his life he has had an innate fear of police officers yeah that's funny yeah because he he also well i can add to that a little bit when he finally was given his uh opportunity to leave england and go to new york one of his first visits was into a police station because he was doing background studies on policing in the United States compared to policing in London. Yeah. Uh, the different, and, and so, you know, he was a really interesting guy who was willing to break eggs. And when his dad had him arrested, they didn't just take him in and arrest They They put him in a cell, oh, left yeah. him in a cell for sure, a while. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, you could always, you know, wink and nod and get something done when you needed to. Sure, you bet, yeah. you bet. What other snippet you got on him? Well, um, he, when it, when, in one of his interviews, it was interesting to have him sort of reveal his, some of his tricks of the trade. He, he said that there's a difference between mysteries and suspense movies. You can have a mystery movie and you can have a suspenseful movie. His job was in the suspense business because in a mystery, the audience is kept out of the background information. They don't know what's going to happen. It's a a mystery. When he develops suspense in his films, the audience is given information, and you know more than the characters. And so you sort of say, you know, watch out. Don't go down that corner. Don't do this. Don't do that, because you already know what's going to happen. And so he's the, the, uh, that was a very interesting little reveal Plus, in, in the mystery, yeah. as the as the viewer, right. you've got the potential to solve the crime. Yeah, but but are not. I mean, yeah. you're not really given enough information. Yeah, yeah. So you're coming up with your own ideas. Yeah, you come up with your own ideas, and in in a suspenseful situation, you actually are sort of on the tightrope because you know what's going on. Because how many movies have you watched like out of a, a, a suspense movie, and you get to the end, you go. I knew it was that guy. Yeah. I knew it was him. Or, oh, man, I didn't see that one coming. He did all sorts of really exciting, interesting things where um, uh, in his cinematography, he would show you the entire crowd and then have travel that camera boom in so that you're actually looking right at the face of the perpetrator that we all sort of watched and knew but it hadn't been revealed until the camera zoomed in on the on the guy's face so there's there's situations like that in a uh, in, in a number of his films and you know while most of his films were suspense murder mysteries uh that kind of stuff you know he did do a light-hearted oh a light-hearted comedy comedy drama yeah that was the trouble with harry oh really and what it's about and it's i've seen it it's been a long time ago but it's about how some residents of a small vermont vermont village uh they react when the dead body of a man named harry's found on a hillside (laughs) but it's not a it's not a murder mystery it's uh, and and this is this is one of the things where they uh, if i remember they get the they get the term macguffin oh. you know uh, yeah. in fiction a macguffin it's an object or device that's necessary to the plot but insignificant unimportant or irrelevant in mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. so the body is a macguffin 
and uh, the story is all about how they deal with that's right that's right yeah. uh, macabre humor the you know uh, one example of uh, some of their frank dialogue is when uh, the John Forsythe carry he he tells Shirley MacLaine that he would like to paint a nude portrait of her and the, for back then the statement was absolutely explicit mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. in that time in 1955 you outrageous. know outrageous yeah outrageous absolutely outrageous you know so yeah but the yeah the the trouble with harry that's a uh, that's a good one to watch and it is it is funny depending on how you how you want to look at it if you like that you know the the um, if you if you <laughs> the um, personal relationship the development of the relationship between Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly in Rear Window is almost the most important part of the film. And, uh, you know, here we are with Jimmy Stewart laid up in a wheelchair, uh, not able to move around, and Grace Kelly is her, his nurse. Talk about dreams of, you know, <laughs> we, we only wished. Only wished Grace Kelly was, uh, we <laughs> and, were hurting and having so, her take care of so, us. But, you know, we're talking 1954, and a girlfriend is moving in to uh, Jimmy's apartment. You know, that's doggone dramatic in 1954, but again, all pretty well understood at the time. Um, so you, you end up with, you know, relationships like this, the North by Northwest, you know, the, the tension developed uh, between the two of them. Uh, you almost have to, I'm going to suggest you go watch it rather than me telling you about it, but the last scene of the film resolves everything that you might be of thought was going on. Yeah, and you know, uh, something that a lot of folks don't realize is Hitchcock actually filmed the same movie with the same title twice. No, who was that? In 1934, he filmed... The Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then, again, and while they were both different movies, the the, the premise was similar. Uh, and then he uh, did it again in 1956 with Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day, mm. where where he, uh, 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 it's his second film using this title, uh, but it's a really, a, it's really kind of a different story, but they use the title similar, and... Uh, you know, one of the things, and folks, you know, sometimes we like to play a song in the middle of the, the show here to to uh, uh, give I mean, a chance to, to stretch out a little bit. But one of the only movies that are the only movie that I know of that there is a, a song in it from Hitchcock that is sung. Oh, don't don't do that. I'm not going to play it, but I'm going to I'm going to say it. I won't play it. And th- actually, David, the film won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. <laughs> In The Man Who Knew Too Much. Tells you too much about that period of time. Doris Day sang it, and it became her theme song, and that was Que Sera Sera, Whatever Will Be, Will Be. And when you look at at the the music of Hitchcock films, and you you look at the, the suspense or the mystery or whatever, that became Doris's theme song, and I just... I couldn't play it today. Mm-hmm. I couldn't bring myself to play it because it's a more happy, upbeat song. And like I said, it, it you know, it's like I, I just, I just can't play it. Uh, that would have been an interesting discussion in the boardroom of the movie, you know, that was producing and spending the money on it, and saying, you know, we need, we, we need to get this in here somehow. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the that's the only yeah. movie he ever did I, where he used the same. And because he owned the rights to that title, he owned the rights mm-hmm, to it. To mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, we were in a Cold War in 1956, so the sure. theme, the theme was sure. It's a spy. Yeah. A spy, spy. thriller. Uh, and, and you know, I got to say, one of the movies that. I don't know. I've I've seen it several times, and I guess it's okay. But a lot of people seem to think that Hitchcock' best movie ever was Psycho. Mm-mm. And you know it. Yeah, it's got. I think a lot of new or uh, young directors were influenced by it. Yeah. And therefore, it's considered you know one of his best. Uh, nobody can you know a lot of the characters that were introduced in Psycho were reused over and over again i mean how many times have we seen slasher movies yeah yeah well you know when you said that slasher movies that's what's neat about a suspense or a mystery movie some of the more modern movies and and i haven't seen any slasher movies here for a while but you know some of the ones when we were kids you know texas chainsaw man yeah the b movies movies. you know they 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 go for fear Mm. based on Action. Action and and uh, something that's gross. You know, mm-hmm. somebody getting their head chopped off with yep. a chainsaw yep. or a slasher blood flying yep. and everything. Yep. And to me, that's not horror or suspense. That's just gore. Well, in, Psycho was scary as heck, and, but we never saw, you know, the the whole thing. That was the whole point about the, the uh, shower curtain, right? Yeah, and you know what's weird is it's often ranked as one of the greatest films of all time, and mm-hmm. I've watched it. And I mean, it's okay... But I'm like, oh my gosh, it's. I just didn't think it was that no. wonderful. I, to me, he had a lot better well, movies. Yeah. The, again, there, the, you know, when you've got 50 movies to compare, you can have a lot that roll up and down and never leave that, you know, the, great, but not as great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, uh, if I remember, I think Janet Leigh had a, had a, uh, yeah, she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. I'd have to look see. I can't remember if she won or not. She's only in the movie for minutes. I was going to say, how can you do that? Uh, a great falling down in the shower, you know? Yeah, but she got it. She got a Best Supporting Actress actress yeah, for that, yeah. you know? Well, you know, again, different eras. That was, that was uh, 1960, guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were both very young. Sure. By the way. Sure. And you know that's a uh, you know Dave and I were talking about this earlier when you when you look at these movies your perception of mind you know I probably saw Psycho you know I didn't see it in 1960 I mean I'd have been 5 or mm-hmm. six, 5 mm-hmm. years old mm-hmm. I wasn't going to see it then excuse me but in later years I probably saw it when I was 10 or 12 mm-hmm. you know so when you're 10 a movie that you watch now that well that's not scary. Right. You know, and then, but when you look at, when you look at the public back then, uh, the public, they, they weren't used to seeing Mm-mm. certain things and they took it differently than they, than they it do today. It was much more shocking, I suppose. Exactly. Shocking. I mean, and it's just, it's just like the movie ratings. There's things, there's things in movies and on TV today that, oh my God, people would have been arrested 60 or 70 years ago sure. for, yeah. For, yeah. for putting the, it on the, the air. Um, well, you had you had uh, you know there were various eras in Hollywood uh, pre-code and and uh, during the code when you know the the sure uh, the Hayes office yeah exactly we're actually telling you what you couldn't could put into the film 
Yeah. And real quick, you know, Janet Lee, the, the one uh, in there, uh, some folks uh, don't may realize you may not realize it, but she's actually the mother of the actress, Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> with. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hollywood, you know, Hollywood uh, uh, lifestyle. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, Tony Curtis was her husband at the time when she's Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Mm. And uh, she died in 04 at, at 77. Uh, and yeah, yeah I, I like Janet Leigh okay, but uh, but yeah, I, I've still never been able to figure out. I'll, uh, I'll stand in the line to watch Grace Kelly. I mean, there there are a couple of of these um, you know actresses which were royalty, and in her case, actual royalty. Uh, that's true. That's that's a career that uh, went from being you know phenomenally famous in hollywood to being phenomenally famous in monaco in monaco and fo- mo- most of you folks maybe remember this uh she uh grace kelly uh in her 50s uh married to uh oh the prince of monaco right uh rainier rainier Ren- Ren- prince rainier yeah. and she's driving along i think i have a 55 or 56 and she had a car wreck and got killed yep you know, which is a shame, but it's yeah. a, a scene, a, a scene out of to catch a thief. If you want yeah. to watch it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It is. She's yeah. where driving that sunbeam around and mm-hmm. catch to catch a thief. Uh, that was in France, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> scaring, scaring Cary Grant. That was a great, you know, it was a great scene. How, how to put him on the, in the, uh, shotgun seat yeah. and, uh, scare the heck out of him. Yeah. But Janet Lee, she, uh, uh, for psycho, uh, like I said, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She didn't win, but she did win the Golden Globe for Psycho. <laughs> <coughs> oh, excuse me. You know, so, yeah, I would thought that was weird. And, you know, there's a... And now that we've got so much good stop action where you can watch stuff and, and mm-hmm. delay it, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of Psycho, there's a scene where Anthony Perkins, he's sitting there kind of with his face down, with his eyes looking up, and... For just like literally a millisecond, there is a superimposed skeleton on him. Oh, um, no. uh, really? So, so they were operating a skull. Yeah, but operating with sort of subliminal. Yes, and it's literally huh. you've gotta you've gotta uh, stop it, and it's hard to do. But the easiest way to do it is just look it up. Yeah, and you'll see yeah, they'll yeah, show yeah, you that yeah. that that literally. Millisecond still. Like I said, he uh, <laughs> he was uh, uh, an adventurer in high tech, uh, to the highest tech he could get into the thing. So that doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah, it was, was uh, it was, was really pretty cool. Using uh, so close-ups of hands uh, that were larger than a hand could ever be. Yeah, sort of cool. Well, David, I tell you what, buddy, we've uh, we've only got about a minute of the show left. Yeah. Uh, What's the most significant thing you can say in a minute? That's right. About Hitchcock. Uh, 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 look him up. Watch. Yeah, him. look him up. Uh, watch you his will movies. Not be disappointed in almost anything you find, uh, because of the genius that he was during all fifty of his films. Some better than others. Yeah. And so find your favorite. That's right. Find your favorite. And uh, uh, James, we want to thank you for calling in. And be sure, folks, be sure to check out the Anchorage Film Festival. And uh, all right, well, uh, this is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the 17th.